second Bible reading this evening comes from Matthew chapter 19, uh, sorry, 18, verses 21 to 35. You can follow along on the wall or in the pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Hello? Am I on? Hello? Hi. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jesse. I'm one of the uh, student ministers here. Uh, Please do keep uh, your Bibles open to that passage. That's where we'll be uh, camping out tonight. And I know we've uh, already uh, prayed uh, for the sermon, but I'm feeling the need for more prayer. So uh, please pray with me. Our Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you that you speak to us. We praise you that you are so good as to reveal yourself to us. That's while uh, we were completely unaware of you, still you, you sent your son uh, and he spoke these words. We pray, our Father, that you would, uh, by your spirit, help us to live out these words. Uh, that's, uh, that we would know your forgiveness and that we would be willing to forgive others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You cannot be saved unless you are forgiving. If we do not choose to forgive, we choose to be damned. That's what Charles Spurgeon said in the 19th century. He was a Baptist preacher in London known as the Prince of Preachers and in one of his sermons... That's what he said. It's strong language, isn't it? You cannot be saved unless you are forgiving. If we do not choose to forgive, we choose to be damned. 
What do you think about that? Is he right? Or is he completely off? Were you shocked and a little worried maybe when you heard that quote? I actually think Spurgeon was right. There is a link between us forgiving others and God forgiving us. And nowhere is that link made more vivid than in this parable. In Matthew 18, uh, 15 to 17, Jesus gave step-by-step instructions on how to deal with people who sin against us. And now, as we come to verses 21 to 35, Jesus tells us why we should do that. Last week, the reason was our love for our brothers. But Jesus goes further in this passage. We forgive because we have been forgiven. We forgive others because we understand the depth of the horror of our own sin against God. And so we understand the depth of the mercy and compassion of God towards us. In this simple to understand but hard to apply parable, Jesus says, you have been forgiven, so forgive others. Let's start our way through the passage by looking at verses 21 to 22, the question and answer. Having heard Jesus explain the process for forgiving those who sin against him, Peter comes to Jesus in verse 21. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Peter gets it. Forgiveness is an important part of God's kingdom. Not just God forgiving us, but us forgiving others. Another thing he understands is that Jesus' expectations are so much greater than those of the rabbis. They said, if a man commits a transgression, the first, second and third time he is forgiven, the fourth time he is not forgiven. For them, forgiveness was three times and Peter more than doubles it. He gets it. He understands at least partially that Jesus' expectations uh, is different to the other rabbis. His expectations are greater. But it seems to be the case with Peter. He, He doesn't fully understand. Not yet. Verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times but 77 times. Now, Peter thought his number was big. And to be fair, it was. Forgiving someone seven times when everyone else said three is impressive. How many people in Australia would suggest forgiving people seven times if they sinned against you? We have sayings like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. We give people a second chance, if they're really lucky, a third chance, but three strikes and you're out. Seven would be revolutionary for Australia. But for God's people, seven isn't enough. It's unacceptable and pathetic. For the Christian, Jesus says not seven times, but 77 times. And he's not saying that so that we keep the tally, 
so that when we finally get to that 78th time, we can finally cut that person off. No, it's hyperbole. It's so great a number that we don't even bother to keep count. The previous passage told us the process of forgiving someone and here Jesus says we are to keep doing it. But he doesn't just leave us with the instruction. He gives us the why. When my four-year-old asks me why he should do something, so often I get frustrated with him and I snap the classic because I said so. But Jesus doesn't do that here. He gives us a real reason for why we should keep forgiving. As we move on from the question and answer to the parable in verses 23 to 34, Jesus tells us, you have been forgiven, so forgive others. The parable has three scenes. In scene one, verses 23 to 27, it shows us the merciful king. This king wants to settle accounts in verse 23. He wants to be paid what he's owed. In verse 24, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Notice he was brought to the king. He doesn't sound very willing. That's not surprising considering the astronomical amount that he was owed. That he owed, rather. 10,000 talents. It's a confusing thing for us. Uh, English speakers, because when we hear the word talent, we think of ability. I have the incredible ability of being able to sit in front of the TV all day when I have the opportunity. Having kids, I don't get that opportunity very often, but still occasionally I do get the chance to, to showcase this amazing talent, especially now that we have Netflix. But ability isn't what the passage means here when it says talent. In the first century, a talent was a unit of measurement. Let's put on our maths brains for a minute just to get a handle on on what Jesus is talking about here. Your normal Jewish labourer in the first century would earn about one denarius a day. For that labourer to scrape together one talent... He would have to work without spending anything for 6,000 days. In 6,000 days, a labourer would earn one talent. That's almost 16 and a half years. In order to earn 10,000 talents, he would have to work 60 million days. That is... Sorry. Or 164,000... There we go, 271 years. Here's some more maths. Someone on the New Start Allowance who's getting that through Centrelink because they're unemployed, looking for work, they receive 520... I'm doing something wrong. (laughs) Never mind. They receive $527.60 each fortnight. There's 26 fortnights in a year, believe it or not, which means they receive $13,717.60 each year. 
if someone on New Start today had the kind of debt that Jesus is talking about, that would be two billion two hundred and fifty three million four hundred and three thousand six eight hundred and sixty nine dollars and sixty cents. Even a top lawyer would not be able to pay that. And so we need to know that this was no ordinary debt. This wasn't just a mortgage that hangs over your head. This was completely unattainable. Because he couldn't pay, the king orders that everything he has be sold, including his family, in verse 25. Now we have to be careful here that we don't get so shocked at the mention of slavery that, that we stop listening. There are people who do that, but Jesus isn't condoning slavery in this Uh, in this parable, he's just using the concept of the day. The reality is slavery was common and Jesus incorporated it into his story. And so in verse 26, the servant falls on his knees and begs for more time. It's a ridiculous request. More time won't solve his problem. More time will barely make a dent in his debt of 10,000 talents. But he's desperate and he will say anything, even promising that it will all be paid, which is completely beyond his ability. And the king doesn't roll his eyes. He doesn't shake in anger at the audacity of this servant or at the obscene amount that he is owed that he will never get back. No, in verse 27, what does it say? It says, The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. In this scene, we see a merciful king. This king had the right to do whatever he wanted with the man. Jail, slave labour, anything was possible. A bank is never so moved with compassion that they cancel someone's credit card debt. But this king took pity on him. This is incredible, lavish pity because of the size of the debt that was owed. A bank won't cancel someone's credit card debt, but this king cancels the debt that is the size of a small nation's budget. That's scene one. Scene two, verses 28 to 30, shows us an unmerciful servant. He leaves the meeting that's changed his life and in verse 28 he finds a fellow servant who owes him 100 denarii. That's no small debt. Remember, a labourer would be paid one denarius a day and so this is a debt of a bit over three months' wages. That's significant. He comes to his fellow servant and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. This is shocking. He's just had his life turned upside down. A debt that defined his life and the life of his family had been incredibly, mercifully lifted from him, no strings attached, and yet he goes out and does something like this. Can you imagine hearing the news that someone had had their debt of over $2 billion wiped clean and then hearing that they were chasing someone down the street who owed them uh, $3,800? 
That's what we're talking about here. Those are the figures. 10,000 talents versus 100 denarii. Over $2 billion. $3,800. So the other servant in verse 29 does almost exactly what the first servant had done with the king. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Remember, this was a decent debt, but it is nothing compared to what the first servant had been forgiven. Surely the first servant would be moved by what the second servant said. Surely, surely he would remember that he'd been in the same situation five minutes ago. Surely he'd remember the life-altering, life-giving decision that the king had made for him. Surely he would forgive this debt. Verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. This is shocking ingratitude. His incredible, life-defining debt that would cast a dark cloud over everything he ever did had been removed and forgiven and he couldn't forgive this relatively small debt. It is beyond reason. It is ludicrous and it is actually immoral. His life was defined by this massive debt and now that it's gone, it hasn't impacted him at all. Scene one showed a merciful king and scene two an unmerciful servant. So now we turn to scene three in verses uh, 31 to 34 where we see a furious king's response. The king hears of all this and calls the servant in and he tells the man that he should have done what we all know he should have done. It was obvious, wasn't it? I cancelled that debt of yours. All that debt of yours because you begged me to, he says in verse 32. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? But the servant didn't. So the king calls him a wicked servant in verse 32 and casts him into prison to be tortured in verse 34. He's acted as if the king's mercy and generosity was nothing showed that he hadn't even realised the true extent of his debt. It didn't bother him that he owed so much. So he wasn't overcome by the mercy of the king. That was wicked. And so he was punished. That's the parable. An illustration to answer Peter's question. He wanted to know how many times he should forgive someone and so Jesus said there was no limit And he gave this parable to show why. Jesus says, you've been forgiven, so forgive others. But it's not just a parable to show us how ludicrous it would be to not forgive. In verse 35, we have the true king's warning. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This parable isn't just an illustration of what not to do. It's a warning. Jesus says, if you don't forgive, 
God will punish you. Mercy should inspire mercy. Compassion should inspire compassion. If you have had an unpayable debt cancelled, if anyone owes you anything, you cancel that debt too. God is the great king of heaven. In heaven, his will is obeyed perfectly. Everyone submits to him because he is king. He's king because he's creator. Everyone in heaven knows that they owe their existence to God. And so they live for him, they obey him, they worship him. But we rejected this king. We refused to worship him, to obey him, to love him, even though he made us. By refusing to live for him, we showed utter contempt and hatred of God. There is no neutrality with God. You either love him or you hate him. And all humanity naturally hates God. Jesus' parable of a huge monetary debt makes this a bit more concrete for us. But it still pales in comparison to the horror of our situation. We don't just face prison for a monetary debt. We face the eternal punishment of hell with God's anger burning against us because of our hatred of him. But God had mercy and compassion. Instead of punishing us, he sent his only son. Jesus had lived with him for all eternity and they were bound together in a love that is perfect and pure Jesus was obedient to God, completely obedient, and yet God sacrificed his son, whom he loved with a perfect love for us rebels and sinners. For us who hated him, he sacrificed the one that he loved. God didn't just bear the cost of a monetary debt. His own son died in the most awful, painful way, all to offer forgiveness. This is mercy. And mercy should inspire mercy. Whether we forgive others or not is an indicator of whether we're Christians. Remember what Spurgeon said at the start, you cannot be saved unless you are forgiving. If we do not choose to forgive, we choose to be damned. That's because Christians understand what God has done for them. They know the debt that they once owed and they've experienced the freedom that God's forgiveness brings. And they show that they understand by forgiving others. If you're not a Christian here today, let me say two things to you. First, welcome. It is good to have you here. I'm glad you're here. You are always welcome here to hear the truth from God's word, the Bible, to ask questions, to get answers. You are always welcome. Please do come. But second, hear this. You have sinned against God and you owe him a debt that you cannot pay. Do you realise this? Does it weigh you down? 
didn't bother the servant in the parable until he was brought in to pay. It didn't impact him, so he didn't care about, didn't care when the debt was forgiven. Do you care about your debt? Do you understand that you can't pay it? God demands a perfect life and just like everyone else, you have failed. The threat of God's judgment hangs over you. Do you feel it? Have you been trying to pay that debt off? Giving a few small instalments to God every now and then, hoping that eventually everything will be okay? Realise now that you will never be able to pay that debt off. No matter how kind you are. No matter how, many, how much money you give to charity. Or how many times you come to church, you will never be able to pay God all that you owe. And so punishment after death is coming. But God is merciful and he offers forgiveness. Just like the king in this parable, he offers to wipe the debt clean. He offers to absorb the debt himself, not to count it against you. He made it possible by having his son die on the cross. Jesus paid the debt that we couldn't, offering us freedom, newness of life, security, peace. God is offering you forgiveness for your debt, for your sin. He has provided the way by having his son die on the cross. Will you accept that forgiveness? I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in a minute, if you would like. But for those of us who have already accepted this forgiveness from God, the call is clear, isn't it? Forgive others. This isn't a unique thing that Jesus says here. In the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive those, uh, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Our memory text a couple of months ago, Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving one another just as in Christ God forgave you. And Jesus, said, as, and Jesus says here, do it from the heart. You have been forgiven. So forgive others. Someone may have hurt you in a profound way. Now, I I don't know, but it is possible that some people here have experienced some forms of abuse. It's possible. I hope not. But if you have, let me be clear that I don't want to diminish the pain that you have felt and I don't want to diminish what you have gone through. No doubt it was awful. Maybe it still haunts you. And maybe it would help to talk about it. And the elders here, uh, Chris, John, when he gets back, even, even me, we would be eager to help you in any way that we can. I don't want to diminish what you've gone through. You've been sinned in a profound way. But your debt against God is greater and was greater and he forgave you. Your debt has been wiped clean.
clean. Jesus bore God's anger for your sin. And if you truly understand that, you need to forgive others. You need to let go of that bitterness that you feel in your heart. You need to let go of those fantasies of getting that person back, of making them pay for what they've done to you. You've been forgiven. And I don't want to give the impression that it's easy or simple, but you need to forgive others. But we shouldn't only forgive others when they repent and when they want forgiveness. If they do that, there can be reconciliation. Not, not that things will necessarily be the same as they once were. You might not be best friends like you were before, but there'll be no bitterness between you. But the fact is that both Jesus and Stephen forgave those who murdered them, who were murdering them, without their murderers even asking for forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, he said. Don't hold on to grudges, ever. Whether the person repents or not, forgive. Let go of bitterness. If someone sins against us personally and we forgive, that should be the end of the matter. No more bitterness. But the fact is that some sins aren't just sins against us. Some sins are also criminal acts. And so what do we do then? A few weeks ago, uh, I woke up to discover that my home church in Geelong had been burnt to the ground. Uh, It seems like someone had hopped over the fence, started a fire and walked away. I haven't heard any confirmation yet about whether it was deliberate or not, but it seems fairly likely considering the TV footage. And so what should the church do? What should Geelong West do if that man came to church one day, confessing and asking to be forgiven? You'd hope they'd forgive, wouldn't you? You would hope that there wouldn't be any abuse held in, that there wouldn't be any violence. You'd hope that they would look him in the eye and forgive him from their heart. But it would be wrong if that was all that happened. A serious crime was committed. And he doesn't just need forgiveness. He needs forgiveness, but he doesn't just need forgiveness. He needs to face the justice of the courts. It would not go against Jesus' words here to both forgive and call the police. And so I'm not saying that every little crime needs to be punished. I'll leave that to your wisdom. But murder, abuse, grand theft, go to the police. Now we should forgive in those extreme moments, but we also need to forgive in the small ones. And so when someone cuts you off as you're driving, what do you do? Do you stew in your anger or do you forgive? When someone insults you and is rude to you, forgive. When your husband is lazy and thoughtless, forgive. When your wife snaps at you because you've been lazy and thoughtless, forgive. If your family rejects you and mocks you because of your Christian faith, forgive. 
Christians should not be unforgiving people. Because Christians have been forgiven, we should forgive others. Which means that there shouldn't be people leaving this church because they won't forgive someone here. There shouldn't be anyone who decides that they're only going to come to the evening service because there's someone who comes to the morning service who they just will not forgive. Surrey Hills needs to be a forgiving church. If we understand the grace and the mercy that we have been shown, if we understand the horror and the depth and the depravity of our sin, And if we understand the forgiveness that is in Jesus, we should forgive. Otherwise, that's an indicator that we haven't really been forgiven, that we haven't really experienced the grace of God. Because if you've experienced God's grace, you become gracious. It's a simple concept, but it can be hard to live. Jesus says, you've been forgiven. So forgive others. Let's pray. And if you want to become a Christian, there'll be a point in my prayer that I'll invite you to join me. Don't feel that you need to say it out loud. You can just do it in the quietness of your own heart and your own mind. But please do make sure that you let us know that you've done it, if that's you. We would love to pray for you and to help you walk with Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we are truly amazed by what you've done for us. You've offered us free forgiveness for our sin. Our debt was beyond what we could ever hope to pay. Please continue to give us a sense of the depth of our sin so that we would be continually amazed by your grace. We pray that we would emulate you and be a forgiving people too. Please help us to see other people's sins against us in light of our sin against you, which is so immense. The hurt they cause us is real, but help us to forgive them in our hearts and may they be moved to repent so there can be true reconciliation. Father, for those here who don't yet know you, who haven't accepted your forgiveness, please work in them now and change them. Help them to see the evil of their sin and change their heart that they would accept your forgiveness. For those who'd like to accept this forgiveness, please pray after me in your hearts. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. You want me to live a perfect life, but I don't. I don't live with you as my King and Father. I live for other things. Please forgive me. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die so I could be forgiven. Help me to keep trusting in him. Change me that I would live for you in gratitude for all you've done for me. I know I could never earn this but it's completely by your grace. Thank you, my Father. Amen.